0: John 13, verse 7. Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. May the Lord add a rich blessing to his word. It has been a very um, full week for me. How about you? I'm sure we've all had our cup running over of things that need to happen, needed things that demanded our time, unexpected things as well. Um, I'm letting you know now, I'll be letting our guests know this evening, that last night as I was praying and asking the Lord, I was Rewriting the last two sermons. I just felt impressed that that needed to happen. And so. hmm. There we go. So, in asking the Lord to help me with the sermons, he ended up giving me three. So um, we're, going to, we're going to conclude um, next Sabbath on the 26th, but I'm going to invite our friends to come again on, this, on this November 2nd. We're going to have one more sermon related to Jesus and prophecy, and it will be done in the morning, so you won't, don't have to worry about um, doing any extra setups or anything like that. Uh, but I'm excited because it gives an opportunity for those that are not able to come at first to continually get invited to come. This morning we're going to be looking at a message that is um, saturated with tenderness and it um, hopefully stays connected. Let's pray and let's begin before this connects. <laughs> Father, thank you for giving us an opportunity to contemplate um, something your son appealed to us, do this in remembrance. And he did that, Lord, knowing very well that we forget his disciples forgot just a few hours after he said to them these things. And Father, we pray for your spirit to not just uh, remind us in a mechanical way, but it will remind us in a transformative way. That as we contemplate and meditate and hear your word that our hearts will be stirred and drawn closer to you and father that is the work of your holy spirit and i pray father for the pouring out of your spirit that our hearts will be made tender and responsive to your voice in jesus name amen what george read for us out of john thirteen seven um, highlights what i've said in previous sermons in regards to are getting our wires crossed sometimes just because we know something doesn't mean we believe it or understand it just because you know something doesn't mean you understand or comprehend it either i could re- i would, i could tell you you know e equals mc squared but ask me what that meant i don't know einstein said it but it must have been important so i knew i knew the memory by memory that equation that formula but don't ask me what it meant and in the same way you can know something but not understand it And in this instance, the verse, the context that George read to us, was Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And if you're still there in your Bibles, in John 13, 7, this is Jesus responding to Peter's objection, Lord, do you wash my feet? You will never wash my feet. And Jesus responds in John 13, 7, Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you You do not understand now, but you will. You will know after this. So Jesus contrasts. You know what I'm doing. If I ask you, Peter, what am I doing to you? You'll say, you're washing my feet, and you're right. But right now to you, that's E equals MC squared. It doesn't really mean anything to you right now. But it will shortly in a bit. And that last phrase intrigued me because I thought, How can, what happened after this? I had never really spent time thinking about what happened to Peter that he would understand because Jesus never washed the disciples' feet again. And so what did did Jesus mean to Peter? What I am doing to you right now, you do not understand, but you will. Part of it is the fact that Jesus told us, do this to each other, I have left you an example. And before we partake of the emblems, we will be following the example of Jesus in washing each other's feet. But maybe, maybe some of us know what we're supposed to do. Maybe we know what room we're supposed to go into. Maybe we know how to get the basin and we know the towels and all the other things that Jesus said, you know, it's a a symbol. It's a symbol. A symbol that we may know of, but really do not understand. That we do not, like Peter, aren't sure. why Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Because the church says we do it? No, because Jesus says do this because I have left for you an example. But we can still do it and like Peter, just know that we're washing each other's feet but not understand the meaning behind it. And so this morning's message is entitled, Who Washed Jesus' Feet? And so I'm going to ask you, can you think of which of the disciples of Jesus washed Jesus' feet? There was one. It's found in Luke 7, 44. In Luke 7, chapter 7, verse 44, it says, Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with what? With tears. With tears. This is the only disciple that washes Jesus' feet. None of the disciples... Wash Jesus' feet and definitely not each other's till after the cross. But this woman comes uh, unbeckoned by Jesus. She has not seen Jesus wash anyone's feet. But she is compelled, and she doesn't just bring water and a basin and a towel. What is she washing Jesus' feet with? Her tears. tears. And that is what helped me understand what Jesus meant to Peter. When he said to Peter, I am washing you right now. You don't understand what I'm doing but you will. When would Peter understand this? And this is what I, I feel is is being conveyed to Peter through Mary for each of us. That the feet of Jesus were washed by someone that was a terrible sinner but was rescued by Jesus, and these tears were of genuine repentance and genuine gratitude and genuine devotion. These tears were of someone that was not ashamed of her Lord. These tears were of someone that she was not ashamed of Jesus because she had seen how powerfully Jesus had not been ashamed of her. Jesus stood up for her when she was about to get stoned in the temple because she had been caught in sin. She had been caught doing something that she deserved to die. Yet Jesus stood up for her jesus was not ashamed of her jesus defended her her heart was transformed when she saw the sacrifice when she saw the risk jesus took for her and she felt that what she was doing right now was little compared to what jesus had done for her it is significant that the gospel of john tells us that this um ointment that she poured upon jesus was worth about a year's salary a man's year's salary which means that uh, you have to ask the question, how does a woman have a man's salary that she can just splurge like that? Well, he speaks about the profession that Mary had before meeting Jesus. Any of you Bible students know what Mary did for a living before Jesus' encounter at the temple? Sales <laughs> she was in the sales business, but she was selling her own soul. And She was selling pieces of her until she had nothing left. And... When she met Jesus, she felt valueless and worthless, used and a user, someone that had learned to exploit and allowed herself to be exploited. Until she met someone that filled her with a love she had never experienced before, and she would not back off. So Jesus uh, had his feet washed by only one disciple, a former prostitute, who understood the sacrifice. You see, she did not fully understand what she was doing at that moment, <clears throat> but she couldn't understand. When Jesus visits our town, He doesn't stay in the elites. He actually wants to stay with us. In John chapter 11, we are told that Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. He loved to stay in their home. He felt welcome there. He felt understood and accepted. And Jesus did something for Mary that just impacted her tremendously. She saw the power that Jesus had, two ways. She saw and heard Jesus say to her dead brother, Lazarus, come forth. And the tears of grief and loss she had had for her brother were turned to tears of joy and surprise and shock. I knew he could heal lepers. I knew he could heal the blind, but raise the dead. Now she began to understand what Jesus meant by saying, I am the resurrection. But Mary had seen what Jesus did for her brother. But she understood now why she was so transformed by this man. The Bible says that while we were dead in trespasses and sins, God made us alive in Christ. The power of the resurrection manifested in Mary's life by being transformed from the inside out. That's why she cried. Inside of her now, there was something that responded to Jesus as her Savior, as her Lord, and as her friend. And she was not ashamed of him. There is uh, a lot to be said about Mary, but for the brevity of time, I want us to look at one verse that highlights that this wasn't a squeaky clean process either. Paul says that every sin that we commit is outside of the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And Mary had certainly sinned against herself. Sexual sins are a unique entity, the Bible says. And the Bible says that when he's describing Mary, now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast how many demons? Seven, Seven demons. I want to read to you something in regards to this verse. It says this, Mary had been looked upon as a great sinner, but Christ knew the circumstances that had shaped her life. He might have extinguished every spark of hope in her soul, but he did not. It was he, it was he Excuse me, who had lifted her from despair and ruin. Seven times she had heard his rebuke of the demons that controlled her heart and mind mary heard rebukes who was jesus rebuking her the demons jesus is a savior and the bible says that god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved mary heard her savior never looked down on her even though apparently she went back and she kept going back she would go to jesus but these demons these forces these spiritual forces would drag her back to the darkness that jesus had rescued her And the Bible says that Jesus prayed for her, did not give up on her. Like Elijah on Mount Carmel praying for rain, Jesus persisted and persisted until she was set free from that bondage. We have a Savior that doesn't give up on us. Amen? We have a Savior that prays for us when we are not praying for ourselves. We have a Savior that will wake up other brothers and sisters in the morning, in the evenings, and put their names into our hearts and say, pray for them. They need your prayers right now. That's the kind of Savior we have one who acts when he sees us being dragged away by that lion that walks around roaring seeking someone to devour that's you and me satan is not waiting for you to step into temptation he's searching for you to bring temptation to you we have a savior a good shepherd that fights the lion has overcome the lion and he will rescue every single one of his lambs the bible says that he prayed seven times She had heard his rebuke of the demons that controlled her heart and mind. You don't need to act deranged or abnormal to be guided and influenced in powerful ways by these spiritual forces. We live in a society that does not recognize how easily we can become influenced and maybe at times controlled by these powers. And there's only one power that can set us free from that. She had heard his strong cries to the Father in her behalf. She knew how offensive sin is to his unsullied purity, and in his strength she had overcome. When to human eyes her case appeared what? Hopeless. What we see is not what Christ sees. When to human eyes her case appeared hopeless, Christ saw in Mary capabilities for good. He sees capabilities for good in every human being. He saw the better traits of her character. The plan of redemption has invested humanity with great possibilities. And in Mary, these possibilities were to be realized. Through his grace, she became a partaker of the divine nature. The one who had fallen and whose mind had been a habitation of demons was brought very near to Jesus, to her Savior, in two ways. Very near in fellowship and very near in ministry. Mary had been drawn to Jesus in two specific ways. Very near in fellowship and very near in ministry. This is the Mary that never went to church because she was out doing business. This was Mary that had forgotten about Sabbath, the scriptures, God's law, anything. She had just given up on all of that because she felt God had given up on her. The one that was most distant from God became one that was brought nearest in fellowship and ministry. It was Mary who sat at his feet and learned of him, even though she was rebuked by her sister Martha for doing so. It was Mary who poured upon his head the precious anointing oil and bathed his feet with her tears. Mary stood beside the cross and followed him to the sepulcher. Mary was first at the tomb after his resurrection. And it was Mary who first proclaimed a risen Savior. Isn't that powerful? The one that had been the most hopeless, the one that society saw no good, no hope in, Jesus saw what she could become through his grace. And because Mary chose to sit at Jesus' feet, because Mary chose to be as near to him as possible, she had intimate, close fellowship with Jesus, And in the end, had closed ministry. This is inseparable. This is why communion is is an invitation to all who believe and have experienced this grace of the Lord. Paul says that when we participate in this, we proclaim. We proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mary was not ashamed of her Savior. She was not ashamed of him at the cross, at the sepulcher, or Sunday morning. She did not understand everything, she understood what he had done for her and you may not be able to regurgitate everything about theology but in this morning do you know what Jesus has done for you do you know what he has done for you because if you don't then you won't understand communion if I don't have a testimony of what Jesus has done for me then has Jesus done anything for me have I accepted See, the disciples would not yield their hearts, their stubborn, prideful hearts. And if you were to ask the disciples, What has Jesus done for you? Well, he's made me feel weird and awkward. He washed my feet. Why would he do that? Mary, What has Jesus done for you? And Mary would keep you for hours. What are our conversations about when we are with our friends? That is what confronted me when I was unconverted after years of being a sabbath school teacher and deacon and an elder what has jesus done for you ariel he has yet to give me the green card he has yet to give me a wife he has yet to give me he hasn't done anything for you yet nope That's why I have no testimony of his goodness. That's why my conversations gravitate about television programs, jobs, and money, and my broken lawnmower, and my carpet, and my bedroom, and toothpaste, and all these things, which is not bad to talk about, but certainly Jesus ought to be in the conversation at some time in the mouth of a Christian, amen? Amen. Especially in church, amen? Especially during potluck, amen? Amen. What will I talk about? What do I talk about? Jesus says that out of the abundance of the mouth, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Jesus once again, through this communion service and in, in his providence, you being here, Jesus once again is presenting to us his sacrifice. And he's interceding. And I read in a book that during these encounters, his spirit makes himself manifest in special ways to awaken hearts and bring spiritual revivals. Do you want a spiritual revival in your life, my friends? I want to have that nearness of fellowship with Jesus and that nearness of ministry of Jesus. I'll talk about my daughters and I'll talk about the wonderful things my wife does for me and I'll talk about the wonderful brownies that I make for my wife and my kids. I don't mind those conversations, but I am learning that in every opportunity with church members and secular people in the supermarket and in the garage and in the gas station, to bring naturally, to not wait, to bring naturally my Lord and Savior into the conversation. He was not ashamed of me when he should have. He was not ashamed of you when he should have. I want a heart like Mary. Jesus knows the circumstances of every soul. Isn't that a wonderful statement? He knows our backgrounds. You may say, I am sinful, very sinful. You may be, but the worse you are, the more you need wide. Jesus. He turns no weeping contrite one away. He does not tell to any that, that all that he might reveal, but he bids every trembling soul take courage, Really will he pardon all who come to him for forgiveness and restoration. And I believe that this is what Jesus meant to Peter when he says, you do not understand what you're doing, that I'm washing your feet. And though you will never wash my feet with this kind of water and this basin, you will, you, you will shed the same kind of tears Mary did when she washed my feet, and every believer when we experience the grace of God in our lives, we will shed tears like Mary did too. We will shed tears, though not physically in front of Jesus, but certainly in his presence. Tears of repentance, tears of gratitude, tears of overwhelmed joy of what he has done for us. And the Lord, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. This is when Peter understood what Jesus had done for him when he washed his feet, and how he wished he could not wash those feet that had walked into his life and saved him. But Jesus doesn't need us to physically fall at his feet and physically weep at his feet, and physically. I, I couldn't dry his feet with my hair. Thank God he doesn't expect me to do that. But I know that God rejoiced in 1999, when Pastor Louis Torres made an appeal, and I was so afraid of stepping forward and being baptized. And the people, our guests, know that that was my rebaptism. My first baptism was just a formality. I went back to my dormitory and I began to pray and say, Lord, I don't trust myself. I don't trust that I will be able to stick, that this decision will mean anything. And I've already walked away from you. I have already walked away from you, and I don't want to do it again. And I began to cry. And sometimes, you know, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, you're praying, and you just feel this deep sadness in your heart. But as you begin to express that deep sadness, and all you can pretty much do is cry at the same time, you begin to feel hopeful and encouraged because these are supernatural tears. These are not tears that you're shedding because of consequences. These are not tears that you're shedding because your marriage has failed. These are not tears that you are reaping the consequences of poor decisions in the past. These are tears that begin to taste of hope, and reconciliation. You begin to see that you are praying and God is listening. He's not rejecting you. God is hearing your prayer and he desires to. And you begin to recognize that as you draw nearer to God, your past circumstances that you had interpreted as God's punishments and judgments and God's displeasure, all of a sudden take a different perspective. you begin to see that you had never been alone. You begin to recognize, hold up a second, this whole time I've been afraid of a God that has been pursuing me to save me. And that's what moves you. That's why those tears are supernatural, meaning they are initiated by a revelation that God is giving you, that he wants to save you, that he wants to keep you saved, that he wants to heal you, that he wants to fulfill the promise of Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I know the plans that I have for you. You don't. But I do. Peter, you do not understand what I am doing to you right now, but I am washing away your stubborn pride that is preventing you from seeing me for who I really am. That's what I am doing to you. You know, that encounter that happened as Jesus was in judgment is powerful because the Bible doesn't say that Peter turned to Jesus. Peter was denying Jesus. Peter was trying to break any eye contact, any kind of inkling that he was somehow connected to Jesus. But the Bible says that Jesus turned. You know what that means? Had Jesus not turned, Peter would have never seen his face. But Jesus knew where his disciple, his denying disciple had been all along. And in that moment when he heard the the crow The rooster crowed three times. Jesus knew what Peter had just done, and he turns to Peter and looks at him the same way he looked at Mary when he said, Where are your accusers, woman? Is no one here to condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That same look of compassion, that he gave to Mary is the same look he gave to Peter, and that's the supernatural tears. Supernatural because they are not produced or provoked by us. They are awakened by a revelation of how much Jesus loves me. Peter did not go and weep because he was now knowing that he had a terrible outcome, the wrath of God was upon him. No. Peter did not go and weep bitterly terrified of the judgments that were before him. Peter went and wept bitterly because of who he was in comparison to who Jesus was. Peter went and wept bitterly because he finally realized how weak he truly was. And yet, at this most painful revelation of how far below he was really in reality, at the same time for the first time he realized how much jesus truly loved him and he loved him even though he knew who he truly was we try so hard to be loved by our daddies we try so hard to live up to the standards of our families of our church of our community and i know of individuals that So hard to try to get that one approval from mama, that one approval from the husband, that one word of approval from the wife. We struggle believing that Jesus loves us even though he knows the depths of our sinfulness and our weakness. That's our struggle of faith, believing that God truly loves us. And that's where we shed the supernatural tears. When that revelation comes to you personally, when you open up your heart and you say, Father, could this be for me? Father, I am so sinful, so sinful. Father, these people sitting here this morning do not know the kind of person that sits here this morning. They do not know my past. They do not know the choices I have made in my past. It doesn't matter who knows down here. Jesus knows you. And he loved you while you were in that darkness. And you are here because he refuses to give up on you. I want to invite us to pray collectively. Many of the psalms were um, used this way in church. And they were prayed corporately. And I want to invite you this morning to read with me one of my favorite psalms. It's a psalm that David wrote when he finally got a glimpse of who he was. We'll be talking about him tonight the way. So this is Psalms 51. It's the New Living Translation. I picked it so that we would not just go into automatic mode because of the familiar versions that we are accustomed to. But I'm not going to, of course, force you. This is an invitation to make this not a recitation, but a prayer, a prayer from your heart. Will you be willing to join me on the count of three? One, One. Two, three. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blood out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin. For I recognize that my rebellion, it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Did you recognize Intimacy, the nearness of fellowship that culminates in the fellowship of ministry is not about just receiving, but now being a means by which others can experience the blessings you've had from Jesus. Then I will teach your ways to the church, to rebels. There may be some rebels in the church. That's why we have Sabbath school. <laughs> But beloved, communion is not something that stays in church. Communion is something that is a response to recommit to being near to Jesus. Participating in the foot washing is recognizing, I need to examine my life. What is my testimony? What is my journey? Because as you reflect, you may be deceived into thinking Jesus saved you 10, 10, 20, 30 years ago, When you gave your heart to Jesus, that was the first encounter. But the Bible says that Mary had to be saved seven more times. Satan would not give up on her. And the enemy that had you in darkness back then, he still wants you there. Do you believe that? And he's working to discourage you. He's working to disconnect you from the vine, from Jesus, from the living word. So communion is a recommitment of prioritizing where the priorities need to be. Jesus first in my life. His word and my time with him alone in prayer, nothing will take that from me, like Mary, to sit at the feet of Jesus on a daily basis. Amen? Amen. That is what communion is. Communion is not a, red, a dead ceremony that only stays contained in the church. It's supposed to be carried into my home. Amen? It's supposed to be carried into my jobs, into my families, into my marriage. Nearness of fellowship with Jesus will lead to nearness of ministry for Jesus. Then I will teach because I've experienced it. And because it's been real to me, others will know that this is not a fabricated story, but a genuine transformation that could have only been accomplished through the supernatural power of the grace and love of God. Your family would know you have been with Jesus. Amen? Your your wife will know you have been with Jesus. Your husband will know you have been with Jesus. Your children will have known there's something that is happening. It's Jesus in the hearts and lives of the believers. The world needs to see this. The sacrifices you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject, O God, a broken and repentant heart. Precious Father, like Peter, you told him, he had already been bathed, so he only needed to have his feet washed. Father, we have been polluted by this world. Day by day, we are in a society that rejects your existence, rejects your presence, they do not know you and with pity and compassion you look at the individuals driven by the idolatry of money idolatry of lust and pleasures waste their lives away on things that in the end will prove to be nothing and it affects us lord we feel the tug satan is on our heels he knows our past he knows our weaknesses He knows how to get us in our thoughts he knows how to bring up the anger he knows how to bring up the sadness he knows how to provoke the doubts again mary recognized that she couldn't be away from your son jesus even for a little bit that's why she clung to him so tightly she recognized how weak and frail she was forgive our pride that allows us, Father, to feel comfortable being at a distance from you. This morning, we come to you with contrite and repentant hearts. Your holy word has touched us. Your son Jesus, through your word, has turned and looked to each of us and reminded us how much we are loved and yet how little we love back. How quickly we forget and how quickly we allow other things to become priorities. Father, we want to be participating in a symbolic act of humility that your son Jesus told us to do as an example, that he gave us an example to do. And I pray, Father, that though we know what we are doing, we will understand what it means as we do it, that our hearts will be stirred knowing that it is tears, tears, Of repentance that we can shed to wash your feet like Mary and as we partake of the emblem Lord as we taste the bread and drink the wine that your son told us to do I pray your spirit would awaken in us visually in our imaginations that love that was displayed at the cross that our hearts would be drawn and that we will shed tears of gratitude, devotion, and faithfulness like Mary did. Father, bless this service to honor you and encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to save the closing hymn, I believe, for after the service, and when to participate at the foot washing right now. Um, Jim, if you could direct the ladies and the gentlemen um, where we can go to right now. If you choose not to participate, that is perfectly fine. We just invite you to stay here. It will be just a few, few minutes. You can open the Word of God. You're welcome to come and watch if you're a visitor and you have never seen the biblical ceremony of the foot washing that Jesus enjoins us to practice. Um, You're welcome to come and watch as well, ask questions. Um, And then after that, the foot washing, we'll come back to participate and partake of the emblems of the Lord.